you would remain standing and open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. Stepping out of John's gospel, we'll get to some resurrection accounts there. We're stepping out for today to consider some benefits of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1 down through 26. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, and you received in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for your word. It is light and life. Lord, by your spirit this morning, would you fill us 
with resurrection hope and give us a glimpse of all the benefits that we have in your resurrection, O Christ. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm way out of my depth to even bring this up. I think it's something I heard my oldest talk about at one point. He, he studies business and uh, finance. There's this thing called cost-benefit analysis. I think the first time I heard this, I was like, what does that even mean? Like, back up a little bit, explain some concepts, some preliminary stuff. What is the cost-benefit analysis? Here's a quote from some periodical or other. The cost-benefit analysis is a process that businesses use to analyze when a decision uh, which decisions to make and which to forego. The cost-benefit analysis sums the potential rewards expected from a situation or action and then subtracts the total costs associated with taking that action. Again, so this doesn't make sense maybe in this jargon, but you're trying to see what is the benefit, okay, how much is this thing going to cost? What's it going to cost me? And what's the benefit of that on the back end? And I suggest that every one of us, the oldest among us down to the youngest, can somewhat understand something of this principle. When I was a kid, we would spend weeks on end at my grandparents' place, rural Mississippi. And what a playground. But there's a cost-benefit analysis to be determined when you, you've already come in for the evening, you've been given a bath, and it's still light outside. And you still want to go play. So you're all cleaned up, but there's still daylight, and you want to go play. The cost-benefit analysis there works like this. You're standing by the edge of a ditch. You want to go play in the water in the ditch, but you've already been given a bath. What do you do? There's a cost-benefit analysis question hanging over the whole scenario, right? There will be a cost. If I jump in the ditch and play in the water, it's not going to go well. But man, that looks fun. Right? There's a benefit to be gained, but there's a price to pay because when grandma sees that you're covered in mud, she is not going to be happy. I think there's a, a similar thing going on with the resurrection of Christ. There's a cost that's paid, and there are benefits to be won in the resurrection. What is the cost-benefit analysis when applied to the very Son of God? Applied to His incarnation. The tremendous cost in the bosom of the Father before all worlds descending to earth, taking on the form of human flesh. In the incarnation, we, we see that God becomes man. What an incredible truth. But the cost doesn't stop there. It continues. He is subject 
by his life to all the infirmities of this life, he could catch a common cold. He could catch the latest virus that's going around. He would get sick. He would grow hungry. He would get tired. But then he goes further. Though he deserves no punishment whatsoever, he he endures the wrath and curse of God. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This is what Jesus does for us. This is the cost to him. Tremendous cost. It cost him his very life. So what is the benefit? If we're doing a cost-benefit analysis of this whole situation, what is the benefit? Christ is risen. The Lord of glory, death could not hold him. Because he is risen, what does that mean for us? Why do we need the resurrection if we're here gathered praising the Lord for the resurrected Christ? What does it mean for us? A few months ago, while reading some other stuff, I I came across Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17, question 45, which asked this question, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? It's basically asking this very thing. What is the cost-benefit analysis of this whole situation, of this gospel story? What is it? It answers in three ways. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make a share in the righteousness he won for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. These three benefits will be our focus this morning. It's my desire today that we would revel in the power and glory of the resurrected Christ and what that means for us. He paid the price. He paid the cost. And we get these glorious benefits. First, justification is only possible by the resurrection of Christ. Second, sanctification is only possible by the resurrection of Christ. And lastly, glorification is only possible by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, justification. By his resurrection, he has overcome death that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he has purchased for us by his death. I love how the catechism jumps right in. It's it's taking the question not historically. It's not holding the resurrection up as something to be examined as to its validity or even looking at all the eyewitnesses. It's taking it as granted. Jesus is risen. He is alive. What does that mean for us? In the text before us, Paul says that he holds out this gospel, this good news, this message. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This message is of first 
importance to us today. Christ, the very Son of God, taking our place, taking our death, buried, laid in a tomb, sealed there, conquering death and glorious resurrection. So if this is so central, what does it mean for us? The catechism says it means our justification. Our justification. An act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins, accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, received by faith alone. God is pardoning our sins in and through the resurrection of Christ. Romans chapter 4, 24 and 25, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. How can God declare sinners like you and me righteous in his sight? Because the life of Christ is vindicated in every possible way in his resurrection. That's how he can look at us, those of us in Christ, and say, you are declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. Our Lord was delivered over not because of his own sin. He never did anything wrong. He was delivered over for our sins. His life, his whole life, everything Jesus ever said or did, it it holds all together in his resurrection. The resurrection is the Father's stamp on Christ, vindicated. He is just. So how does his resurrection justify us? Because we, as believers, are hid with Christ in God. Our union with Christ is the assurance of our resurrection. Jesus died not just to die. That wasn't the end. It was never going to be the end. He died to rise again, conquering death. He had more in view than just satisfying the justice of God. As important as that is, he also had in view the resurrection in which God would stamp his satisfaction on his son, and that stamp applies to us, those of us who are in Christ. The resurrection of Christ gives validity, again, to every single thing Christ ever said or did. Listen to this section again of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Somebody had come along in the church at Corinth starting to announce there is no resurrection. Hear me, if there is no resurrection, we are still in our sin. The devil is not overthrown. Death has not been conquered. There is still a sting. There is no resurrection. There is no new birth. 
There is no justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification. There is no perseverance of the saints. With the resurrection, Christianity stands alone among the world religions. One theologian says the resurrection is the crowning confirmation that all of, that is of Jesus is true, is valid, and receives the amen of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. Everything he said was true. The resurrection is the crowning achievement. A few applications. What are we looking to, to be just in the sight of God? The only answer that the scripture gives us is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of the very Son of God, Jesus has overcome death itself so that we could partake in all of his benefits. Peter puts it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you woke up this morning with living hope beyond your own life, beyond your own sin, beyond your own experience, you had that hope because Christ is raised. So we see that our being just before God hinges on the resurrection of Christ. We also find, second, that sanctification, being set apart, is only possible by the resurrection of Christ. Again, the catechism, second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. I love how short and succinct that statement is because it carries so much biblical truth by the power of Christ. We are resurrected today to a new life. You see, child of God, we are waiting, we are longing for the return of Christ when we will be given new bodies, when the dead in Christ shall rise and meet with him. But in the meantime, we are invited into new life now because of the resurrection of Christ. What's the question? What's the, the connection between justification and sanctification? Listen, they always go together. Calvin says this quote, justification and sanctification, gifts of grace go together as if tied by an inseparable bond. So that if anyone tries to separate them, he is, in a sense, tearing Christ to pieces. If Christ justifies you, Christ will sanctify you. He does this. By his resurrection. Our standing in Christ, our standing before God is forever changed. And that status is given to us now, today in Christ as believers. We see this truth, the resurrected Christ shaping the lives of believers throughout scripture. Here are a few examples. Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, Paul looks at the gospel and he sees aligned with the death of Christ, us in Christ. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we certainly shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Christ died and by his resurrection sets us free from sin. Here's the promise of resurrection for us. If Christ is raised, we too are raised in him. It's an incredibly encouraging truth. Especially for those of us who struggle. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Every single one of us in here struggles. We all wrestle with ourselves, with our lives, and again and again the answer to a struggling Christian is look to Christ, look to his gospel, remember the resurrection, remember the power of God granted to us in resurrection when you struggle with guilt and sin. Remember that all the punishment that God has has been laid on Christ. When you find it hard to believe that you are forgiven, remember the resurrection of Christ was for you. This isn't just something that we believe over here that has no benefit. That's the point. It's not just this historic reality in the past. We'll say more about that in a minute. Remember the resurrected Christ for you. You're tempted to despair. Remember that you are united to Christ in his death and resurrection. When you feel helpless in your walk, remember the resurrection of Christ to find your path. Remember that you are following in his footsteps. Ephesians 2 goes even further. Listen to this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Listen to this and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about some future reality. Child of God, he's talking about the present. He's talking about those of us by, who by faith submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, his gospel. Today we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Because Christ is raised, we are raised with him. Because Christ is raised, we are alive in Christ. Because Christ is raised, by grace we have been saved. Because Christ is seated in heavenly places, child of God, we are seated in heavenly places with him. Let this be an encouragement to you. You will not feel like this every day. You will not feel the weight of this every day, but may the Spirit use this as a reminder to you, those of you who are hidden in Christ, that you are with the resurrected Christ today. This part of our salvation story isn't waiting on the coming of Christ. We are invited to live in light of this reality now. So what happens when we as the people of God begin to belittle the value of the resurrected Christ? 
Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15 that we lose the gospel itself. If Christ is not raised, our preaching is in vain. If Christ is not raised, we are misrepresenting God himself. If Christ is not raised, our entire faith is in vain. If Christ is not raised, we are still in our sins. What's the point? What's the application? I think it's this. It's very simple. We need the resurrected Christ daily. We don't need to neglect the value and beauty and power of our resurrected Lord. It has meaning for our lives. Not just as a historic event, which it absolutely is. In Christ, we have a living Savior. And because He lives by the Spirit of God, we live in Him. So what happens when we deny this benefit? Paul tells us clearly in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, if it only gives hope in this life, we of all people are most to be pitied. If your Christ is only big enough to carry you through this life, he's not big enough. In fact, Paul would go further saying that is a life worthy of pity. If your Christ is not raised and has no power for your own resurrection now and in the future, your life is a pity. So far, we've seen the benefits of Christ's resurrection as our justification. Because Christ is justified in resurrection, we have the benefit of his just life because Christ is living now we are living now in him we get the benefit of that new life in him now we are sanctified in him now and lastly glorification is only possible through the resurrection of Christ how does Christ's resurrection benefit us third Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection Not only is the resurrection of Christ rooted in a historical reality that he just walked out of the tomb. Because Christ is living now, we are living now, and we get all of these benefits. We read this in our text. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. His resurrection is the promise of our resurrection. You think about the benefits of the resurrection of Christ. You think about your own mortal life. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. For those in Christ, death is not the end. Because Christ is raised in glorious resurrection, the promise comes to us who are in him. We too will be raised. Glorious resurrection. The resurrection of Christ was not this one-time event. The Bible never puts it like that. In fact, again, in our text, it's called the first fruits. 
of those who would believe the first fruits of a greater plan of resurrection. This is an agricultural term that when they would begin the harvest, there would only be a few things ripe at once. And if the ripeness of that fruit was good, that was a promise of a great harvest season. Paul reminds us that Jesus' own resurrection are but the first fruits of our own resurrection. He's just getting the ball rolling. Conquering death, hell, and the grave, is, he's just getting this resurrection thing going. Christ's resurrection is part of this greater plan. We, we read in Romans 8, Paul says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, listen, child of God, to this text. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, if he is not raised, you are dead and you will remain in the tomb. By his resurrection, child of God, you have life promise of your own resurrection. Our union with Christ means that one and the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus began in the garden of a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea. But it is by no means done in its power at that tomb. That was but the first fruits. You and I are part of this larger harvest. Because Christ is raised, he is the guarantee of our own resurrection. Do you have any hope of seeing the beatific vision? Looking at Jesus, it is only through his death, burial, and resurrection that you will see God. This is good news. This was good news for the woman who had gone to the tomb that morning. This is the reason that Peter and John ran to the tomb to see if it's true. Because they knew that if he is raised, that changes everything. Philippians points us toward an application of this glorious truth. It says this, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform this lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Also, what an encouraging statement. In this life, we wrestle. We struggle in our bodies, in our minds, in our careers, in school, in our lives. We struggle. Yet in Christ, in his resurrection, we have the down payment of our own resurrection. We know that this is not the end. There is more for us because of the resurrection of Christ. Today, we have the promise of resurrection. Listen, what does it mean that we are citizens of heaven in the resurrection of Christ? 
That also changes everything, not in the future, but today. It means that we don't have to maintain the same values that the world has. We're citizens of another place. We don't have to pursue the things that this world would want us to pursue as life-giving. We can look at that and in the face of the resurrected Christ, we can say, no, this is what matters most. We can live in the present like we're citizens of heaven. Taking on the values of heaven and living them out today. We can live this life waiting for the return of Christ who will transform these lowly and broken bones into a glorious body like the resurrected Christ. Consider the beauty of that. A few last observations. The resurrection of Christ gives us reason to celebrate. We have reason to feast because Christ is alive. Christ risen for sinners like us gives us hope. We ought to think more deeply about the resurrection of Christ. And the cost-benefit analysis, is it worth it? Absolutely. The resurrection of Christ gives us reason to, to suffer well. Because if Christ is not raised, then all suffering is meaningless. Listen, listen to that. If Christ is not raised, then all suffering is meaningless. Because Christ is raised, because the resurrection is true, we have the promise and the down payment and the first fruits in Christ, that this is not the end of the story. Sin, death, hell, and the grave do not win. Remember the distraught and crying Mary at the tomb? Do you remember that? Put yourselves there. Her beloved Lord laid in the tomb and she comes to anoint him and doesn't find him there. The tomb is empty. She's suffering this deep sense of loss. Where is her Lord? What, what happened here? Do you remember what, what happened next? It utterly changed everything in her life and the lives of the disciples, the apostles. This, this is the bomb that went off that continues to reverberate to this very day. He just simply said, Mary. He called her name. It changed everything. We don't know how many times he had said her name before, but the resurrected Christ calling her name changed everything for her. She recognized it and turns to him and calls him Rabbi. Everything's changed. The world would never, ever be the same. Her world would never, ever be the same. Have you heard him calling your name? Has the resurrected Christ changed everything in your life? 
as the dividing line in all of history. If we believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we take him in, if we eat and drink of him, we believe in his resurrection. You know the power and glory of the resurrected Christ. Are you ready for the glorious return of Christ? When he will take ashes to ashes and dust to dust and give us immortal bodies? Have you believed in Christ alone for your salvation? If so, you're believing in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ. So you see in our cost-benefit analysis, which again, I have no business even speaking about, but it makes sense here. Jesus bears every single bit of the cost. Every single bit of it was laid on him. You and I pay for nothing. We're the ones out there jumping in the ditch. We have incredible benefit to the resurrection of Christ child of God in his resurrection we are justified declared righteous by God in his resurrection we are sanctified we are set apart more and more we grow into the image of Christ because of his resurrection and in his resurrection we too will be glorified may that shape the way we think and celebrate and suffer today let's pray Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for these blessed and glorious truths of a resurrected Savior. Lord, as we contemplate these things, would we live in light of your resurrection today? May we as a congregation be marked by those of faith and shape us. Grow us. Give us joy and hope today in the face of suffering because of the resurrection. Pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.